All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. So as I said, we are in John chapter 3. And uh, by way of um, remembrance, so we're looking at this conversation that uh, John reveals to us um, between Jesus and Nicodemus. And this is going to be the first of um, at least four conversations that will be uh, shown uh, as we go through John. And of course, there's other things as well. But it bears remembering that, first of all, we've, we've talked about already that the events that happen um, are somewhat in chronological order, but not necessarily so. And that the overarching point of John is for him to tell us about who Jesus was and why he came. So, let's review our verse, our theme verse for the uh, for this study. And this is John chapter 20, verse 31. All right, here we go. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Awesome. So as it happens, and as we've seen often, these same words and phrases, um, they are reflected in much of what John is writing. And we're definitely going to see that today. Um, it says that these things have you've been written so that you may believe. So we're going to hear about belief. We're going to hear about Jesus. We're going to have this phrase the Son of God talked about. We're going to talk about life in his name. So true to his stated purpose, uh, John is going to uh, use um, the further conversation uh, about what happened between Jesus and Nicodemus uh, to to kind of reveal these things to us. And when I left uh, last week, uh, I gave you a little bit of a homework assignment, and I made the the point that that this passage that we're going to study today, which is going to be from John 3.16 down through verse 21, uh, that there is um, a couple different ways to look at this as to who the speaker is. So, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this, um, and I mentioned that traditionally, and and this was certainly the case with me. I had just made an assumption that that this was Jesus talking. Uh, it was in red letters in some of the Bibles I'd had, and uh, that was the way I, I received it. Um, in this study, it seems like there can be a reasonably good argument that this might be John talking. Uh, in, in, in an explanatory fashion, and we know that this was his style, and we've seen it some already. Uh, some people call them uh, parenthetical remarks uh, or explanatory remarks. Uh, some people call them footnotes of John. Uh, one person counted, um, depending on how you attribute these, uh, almost 60 different times throughout the book where John um, describes something, quotes somebody, tells a story or whatever, and then offers some sort of commentary about it. And so um, as I read this, just kind of, you can actually hold both of those ideas in your mind as we go through um, 
who said these? And in some ways you might think, well, does it really matter? And if you believe, as I do, that all of Scripture was inspired by God, breathed through the Holy Spirit into the, the writers, uh, from that point it doesn't matter. It's all truth. Uh, so that's not at, at issue. But as we um, start to understand and apply what's going on, uh, I, think, um, I think maybe it makes a little bit of a difference, mostly in terms of emphasis. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I think everyone is in agreement that verse, verses um, 10 through 15 are spoken by Jesus. They are identified as being spoken by Jesus, by John, who starts off verse 10 saying, Jesus answered him, and then we have a quote. Um, if we go down to these last couple of verses, verses 14 and 15, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We have an echo of that in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So this last phrase of verse 15, we have whoever's, and again we have in verse 16, whoever, and then we have this concept of believing, and as we do in, in verse 16, and then we have this concept of eternal life. And so if you think about it, as Jesus would say these things, for him to roll right into verse 16 and kind of repeat himself, certainly that would be his prerogative. But to me, it also makes sense for John to be going into one of his explanatory sections. And in a way, it, it almost makes it seem richer to me. And let me explain We know, as, as I talked about before, that these conversations of Jesus, um, with as much detail as we do have, are still compressed, right? We talked about it. It just takes moments to read these, these sentences. And, and yet, it, on practical terms, it would seem silly for Nicodemus and Jesus to just have this super brief conversation. I mean, you could almost say this as you were walking past somebody in the hallway, but we get the idea that this was rabbi to rabbi in an extensive conversation. So there was, you know, we're getting a compressed version um, of the conversation. We're getting literally quotes by John of the, of the essential, most pithy part of the conversation that Jesus said. But now, if, 
if you think of, or picture John writing about this, we're a few decades from the original conversation. And John is an old man. And John's had time to reflect on these words of Jesus, which he thought were powerful enough to put them in the Bible through, of course, the Holy Spirit's guidance. He's had time to really think about this, to, to think about how does this fit with the whole message of Jesus as, as he's had time to process this for 20 years or more. And now he is able, in the richness of meditating on those words and of also knowing who Jesus was and, and seeing the before Christ and the resurrected Christ and the ascended Christ, the transcendent Christ. He's seen Jesus. He has seen God, of course. And he's had time to reflect on this and is now telling people what it all means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and so forth. So just to look at this a little bit, uh, to break it down, and, and we'll kind of come back to this this concept, but I just really think that that if you if you have this this concept of an of literally an elder of the church, a, a a patriarch of the church, writing for other churches in his area, uh, wanting to really highlight the just the essentials of the gospel, uh, it just seems uh, so rich for that to uh, to be attributed to to John. This God, for God so loved the world. We say it so much, we just assume, well, God so loved the world. But it's interesting because this same John tells us not to love the world. And so people have kind of like, well, what's up with that? So turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15. This is John writing to his children, so to speak, his children in the faith. He says in verse 15, Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, but yet here we have back in chapter 3, verse 16 of John, for God so loved the world, which makes it really interesting. Now, this world, this word for world, um, had the connotation of this is a wicked world. Um, He's not talking about the beauty of nature and God's creation. He's talking about the nitty-gritty, grimy, sin-infested, evil people kind of world. And so the amazing thing about this, as one commentator said, isn't that God so loved the world because there were so many people. But the amazing thing 
is that God so loved the world because of how bad it was. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, Knowing how horrible everything was, but yet because of his love for the people in the midst of that sin, that darkness, that death, he wanted to provide a way of escape just as those people were all cursed there in Israel and God provided a way out with the belief of lifting up the serpent. Here we have John's understanding that that God gave his only son so that when he was lifted up and you believed in him, then you could have eternal life. Uh, this is the essence, of course, of the gospel. I was I was reading uh, and studying, of course, I came across a, a sermon that Billy Graham gave in Central Park uh, to the city of New York, one of his crusades, and his focal point was John 3.16. And, of course, the the sermons of Billy Graham are just so amazing. They're almost so amazing they're hard to analyze because it just... It's just like so perfect. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm trying to picture, okay, what did his outline look like? But it doesn't even sound like an outline. It's, you know, it's just craziness. Um, but he, of course, uses this verse to talk about everything, right? Because we have this horrible condition that the world is in. We have God expressing his love toward this group of people, which by the way, this was weird. If a Jew read this, this would have been weird because the Old Testament talks a lot about God loving Israel and his chosen people. But mostly he talks about wiping everybody else out, right? In fact, when when the Israelites mostly got in trouble, it was because they didn't obliterate somebody. So for now... It to be said, God actually loves the world. That would have sounded weird. God gave his only son. So here we have this this um, this redemption sort of thing, right? We talked about how Jesus was the better Moses. Anyway, we'll come back to this one. Let's go back to let's go on to verse seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, this concept of um, this, this idea of the, the world being condemned, or, you know, John saying, you know, that wasn't why God sent his son uh, to condemn the world. It it even opens up the topic. Oh, well, so we're not a neutral world, right? If you think about it, you ever hear people say, well, he was a good man. I know he's going to be in heaven, right? And you'll see this in this concept in pop culture. And the people that say it are often pretty sincere 
and they're recognizing that there is some sort of bar that you have to meet and that but underlying it all I think is this concept that we all kind of start at neutral and that if we don't do too much bad stuff or if the good stuff we do somehow brings us back to neutral or maybe a little bit better then we're good right but we all know right we don't start from zero <laughs> we start from like infinity below zero you know we there is you know we, we'd have to get way better to get to zero you know um, so here we have this concept of condemnation that John is bringing in which the implication is there's a judgment that needs to happen This is further elaborated on verse 18. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So, John's unfolding this a little bit more. Uh, Jesus didn't come to condemn because you've already been condemned. God has already determined where you stand and it all started, as we know, back in the garden. Right? We were, through our father Adam, we were given this freedom in the garden to fellowship with God. And we were given this rule, this one rule, that we couldn't follow. And then sin came into the world. And then we are all eternally tainted by that from that point forward. It took in a this in a in Billy Graham's twenty seven minute sermon to Central Park, by ten minutes into it, he had already made about four or five minutes of introduction and connection with the people of New York, and he had already opened his text to John three three sixteen, and by the ten minute mark he was already back in the garden. He was already bringing people to understand why they needed what Jesus is coming to the world to offer. Um, there is a status and we're and it's not neutral. Again, John unpacks this a little bit more. And this is the judgment. Okay? Remember we've We've already been condemned, and but here is the judgment. Verse 19. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, to give you a little bit, there's um, to kind of see, let you see for yourself why some people think this is John speaking and not Jesus speaking. Turn to back to First John. Chapter one verse 5 
And there, you're going to see not just the same concepts, but much of the same wording by John. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. So here we have this, all these concepts that we've just looked at, right? This John casting us in the, in the, the categories of you're either in the dark or you're in the light. And so here again, you're either in the dark or in the light. And going back to John 3, it says, Everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come into the light, let his works be exposed. Well, we know this to be true, right? Just practically, when things are not good, when we're doing things or thinking things or planning things that are wrong, we don't broadcast these things. Typically, on purpose. Sometimes we do things by accident. But we do things in secret, you know? A criminal is not going to lay out all their plans ahead of time, right? They do things in secret. Sometimes criminals aren't very smart, of course. Um, I, I, have a, I have a patient um, who works for the Department of Corrections down in Lexington or somewhere in the state. And um, her job is to monitor calls from jail. <laughs> well, during one of these calls from jail, they pick up this conversation where this guy, who is like three months from being released, okay? He's had good behavior. He's on like the detail where he can go mow the grass for whatever. Well, they're talking to his buddy, and he's like, well, yeah, when I'm out mowing the grass, I'm going to just walk away from my lawnmower, and you can pick me up at so-and-so. He's going to try to escape. Well, of course, she heard this, reported it, and they picked the guy up, and, and he was not released three months later. Um, but he thought he, was, he thought he was in private, right? Not that he was thinking, but... He wasn't picturing somebody monitoring his calls. So he was preferring to be in the dark, and sure enough, his works were exposed. Um, but look at what it says as why people come in the light. This is interesting. But who, Verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So when we step into the light in belief, with Jesus, it's mainly so other people can see how great Jesus is and how amazing it was that God saved art. Wasn't that great of Jesus? It's not that I did anything great. It was, wow. There was this person who was way below neutral. He was sinful in the dark and now Jesus has brought him into the light. Uh, this is kind of the essence of 
of things. So again, if we go back to John 3.16 and we see how everything, regardless of who said it, unpacks this meaty verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, sometimes things get popular because there are silly reasons. But sometimes things get popular because they deserve to be popular. Uh, a couple of interesting things, and some of you may know these stories, but I thought it was just interesting how this most famous of verses has been received and talked about in my battery fading. How this verse has been received in pop culture. This is my voice when people can't hear. <laughs> You've seen the story of Tim Tebow, the former Heisman Trophy winner from the University of Florida. For many years, uh, and you probably know his story, homeschooled, parents were missionaries in the Philippines. You know, he wasn't supposed to live and was supposed to be aborted. You've probably heard his amazing test testimony of God. He got the idea that he would start putting a scripture verse on the eye black under his eyes, and for quite some time he did Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in Christ, and so forth. Well, he was inspired to change that to John 3.16 for their national championship game back in January 2009. They won that game, and he found out that over 90 million people Google John 3.16 during that broadcast. And he said online, he said, he said, well, that was kind of amazing, but the amazing thing is, is that that many people had to Google John 3.16. <laughs> well, history somewhat repeated itself. Three years to the day later, by now he's with the Denver Broncos, taking them to their first playoff game in many years against the Steelers. They won the game in overtime, and again, he had John 3.16 under his eyes. And again, it was the most searched for term uh, during that broadcast. Uh, again, over 90-some million uh, people Googling John 3.16. You would assume these are 90 million different people that didn't get it three years before. <laughs> Any event, you know, sometimes I think God just says, you got to watch this. this is, I'm going to have fun with this one. I mean... And you may know this part of the story, but I thought it was funny. How many yards did Tebow pass for that day? 316 yards, right? He set a record for the longest number of yards per completion, 31.6 yards. He runs occasionally, and his average run was 3.16 yards. And the Nielsen ratings for the telecast peaked at 31.6. It's kind of funny, but you got to think God was like, watch this. You know? <laughs> and um, so anyway, it's kind of a funny, a funny story. Um, but John 3.16, all of a sudden, because of that one thing, brought into consciousness of pop culture at least for a little while and who knows what came of that a more tragic story you'll remember this uh, back in the 70s and 80s 
there was a phenomenon of this guy, uh, Rockin' Rollin, he was called, who positioned himself in the end zone. Remember this? Afro, wig, rainbow colored, holding up a sign that said John 3.16. From the NFL to the Masters, there he was. And apparently claimed to be born again, um, but had a tragic ending to his story. Apparently had some mental health issues, wound up and is currently in jail for attempted kidnapping. Uh, and he, uh, at one point he was offered a plea deal and he says now, yeah, I should have taken that. Um, but again, John 3.16 was out there everywhere. People are still doing this. When I drive home, I pass telephone poles where somebody has taken a pretty sizable ladder and tacked on Jesus saves to the ladder. Have you seen these? Was that you, Phil? That wasn't you. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's this, can we encapsulate everything and drop it into this verse? Even the most casual person probably in the U.S. stumbles across this. And it is one of those verses that kind of provokes you to think about it. Here's God loving the world. Here's Jesus uh, being the Savior of the world. Amazingly, people choke on the belief part. It says that whoever believes in who? Him should not perish but have eternal life. There are some people who can't get past that work. The believe in him phrase. To show you how, you know, if you're in the realm of Christianity, and then there's a smaller world of Protestant Christianity we would position ourselves in the world of evangelical Protestant Christianity, right? The world doesn't see a lot of those distinctions. You guys heard of the United Church of Christ. This was the... Uh, this is the church that is the um, legacy, really, of the pilgrims, who I have huge respect for, who actually left the craziness of England at the time so that they could raise their kids in a better environment and raise them up in the war. But things have drifted. And you can tell how far they've drifted by looking at how they look at John 3.16. So, for example, there's a United Church of Christ pastor who posted just a few months ago a message, what's the deal with John 3.16? And first of all, it says... Um, I'd like to think that the first six words of the verse, which says, For God so loved the world, 
is the reason that the evangelical church focuses on this verse so much. He said, wouldn't it be awesome if that was the message they wanted everyone to hear? Sadly, though, I think it's the latter half of the verse they wish to emphasize about Jesus being the only way that leads to salvation. The misunderstanding over this verse is often the reason many Christians today believe that one must accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior or they will be damned to hell. But this is not what John 3.16 means. And he basically says, Jesus was a man that during his lifetime had an awakening that God had infused divine light into creation and that because he was part of that creation then he was a partaker of that and then he was at one with creation. That's not the way this was intended to be read. He conveniently overlooks, and by the way, he's one of these, he's one of the people that thinks, he even says, he attributes this to Jesus. As he said, people that talk about themselves in the third person um, might be narcissistic. And he says, well, no, maybe Jesus wasn't being narcissistic, but, you know. Another United Church of Christ pastor says, the Christian faith, this is on their statement of faith, the Christian faith is our way of being faithful to God, but it's not the only way. Christianity is a truth for us, but it's not the only truth. We share our lives with people who are Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist. We're, we experience these people as loving and caring by following their religious traditions. To, not, to, deny that, to deny that is to deny that God can only draw people with one way. That simply isn't borne out in our experience. The power of the Christian faith to transform lives does not require it to be exclusively true. Exclusivity is born out of fear. The fear that there is one train to God and if you aren't on the right train, you'll go to hell. We believe there are many trains and God welcomes them all. Now, the word heresy kind of gets thrown around a little bit as an insult, but by definition, this is heretical teaching, right? Where the Bible is saying, God loved the world, he gave his only son. Does God really give his only son if there's lots of other ways that wouldn't require Jesus to come set aside godliness, experience the most cruel death of all, does that really have to happen if there's just any old religious leader can be your path to God? So, as we go through all of our teaching, um, it's important to remember that there are, there are wacky things out there. Pastors talked about in the latter days, people are going to come up with teachings that tickle their ears. Right? 
you don't have to go too far to see this. This isn't a Mormon saying this. This isn't Jehovah's Witness. This isn't something that we would clearly identify as a cult. This is someone that a non-believer who wasn't aware might think this is the way we all believe. Oh, I'm going to Google United Church of Christ. Uh, you know, we've got popular senators who are in this uh, church. You know, uh, there was a Democratic senator ran for uh, president up on the debate stage. She's a member. Doesn't have anything to do with whether she's Democrat or not. That's just the way the website put it. There's craziness out there. So, as exclusive as it sounds, and I don't see this because I'm scared of something, um, there appears to just be one way. And it appears to be this only son way. And it appears that that's because it says whoever does not believe is condemned already and why are they condemned already verse 18 says because they haven't believed in the name of the only son of God they aren't condemned because they didn't believe in Muhammad or Buddha or Krishna or whoever they're condemned because they didn't believe in Jesus you know, sometimes people make this too hard. I mean, I guess it's hard. You may say there's only one way to God. But it's not that hard to explain. And generally, you know, you can gauge how close somebody is to the truth by how many frilly words it takes to make you not know the truth. Um, I can't imagine the backflips that people have to go through it may come as no surprise that if you go to their website there's lots of other things on there that would show that they've really parted ways with orthodox Christianity I do believe that you know there there may be Christians in this church who accept Jesus as their only path to God to God and they recognize their sin and they put their faith in him but you know God had to weed through a lot to get to him probably God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life or everlasting life So, a couple other odds and ends. The first time in the book that the word save shows up is in this passage. We talked about the darkness and light. We'll see that theme come up as we already have. The other thing to remember is in subtle ways John continues to remind us that 
the uniqueness of what he's saying is because we have an occupant of heaven who left there to bring this salvation to us. And since we're talking about deviations from the truth, can you think of a world religion that claims that? Muhammad lived in the, what, five, six hundred B.C., I mean, uh, A.D., somewhere in there. I don't think they claim that Muhammad came from heaven with God and came down. They may think he ascended to heaven, but they don't think he came from heaven. Buddha was going around five or six hundred B.C., around the time that the Israelites were um, hanging out with the Persians and the Babylonians, they don't think he came from heaven and then thought his way to nirvana and thought his way out of reincarnation. But yet the Bible says Jesus came from heaven, came down, to do a job to save us and then ascend it. To my understanding, only Christianity claims that. So if you have a God that can do that, who chooses to do that, then I think it's also okay to have a God who says, this is the only train and I'm driving it. So keep your ears open for these heresies that are out there. Um, some people may pick them up innocently, and if God brings those people across your path, you can gently take them to Scripture and say, hey, we're all condemned already. The only way we can get uncondemned is by belief in Jesus, the lifted up one, the one who can cleanse us with that water birth and give us that birth from above and that brings us into the light whereupon we can just reflect what God has done for us. This is a good place to land. There's a reason that we use this in our soul winning because it's all right there. Not that Romans doesn't come in handy but if you had to land this is not a bad place. Alright, we better quit. Comments? All right, let's close. Father, we thank you for this message, um, this message of redemption uh, because you loved us. We thank you for this passage, and we pray that you'd help us to continue to live it out and to give us eyes and ears to see those who still need to come into the light. We thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen. Thanks, everybody.